If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bring on the Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson. Eric Rubato is with us again. Eric, how you doing? Doing well today. Doing well. Yeah, and Kansas State basketball surprised us all on Saturday, not just beating West Virginia, but kind of walloping them. Uh, a really impressive win. Yeah, it was It was nice. There was that one stretch where uh, things got a little scary. Six turnovers and six possessions will do that, but they figured it out. So, you know, gets us a little more excited looking forward to um, – I mean, at KU is still pretty scary on Tuesday, but beyond that, the Big 12 SEC Challenge, K-State gets to go to Alabama. So we brought in our friend Brett Hudson. He's with the Tuscaloosa. Is it Tuscaloosa News? It Brett? is the Tuscaloosa News. Okay. Yeah, well, so we appreciate you for joining us. No, happy to help, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and, and you may remember, we've actually had Brett on before to talk about Mississippi State football. So... Um, I mean, I have to ask, I think obviously in most respects, uh, Mississippi State to Alabama is an upgrade, but are you a little disappointed you won't get to talk to Mike Leach? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty pissed <laughs> off at the AD, John Cohen, for hiring Mike Leach just a matter of months after I leave Starkville. Like, I, I thought I was a pretty good soldier about <laughs> two years in the Mississippi State community, and he waits until after I leave to go and hire Mike Leach. It seems unfair. And it mm-hmm. seems like we should uh, we should probably have a conversation next time his bulldogs <laughs> come to my neck of the woods. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. But you're in Alabama now, and uh, Alabama obviously not known for its basketball, but kind of hitting their stride right now. They won three of their last four. The one loss was at Kentucky. You know, is is this the best basketball they've played? And we should mention obviously they they won against Auburn, handing them their first loss. So. But is this the best basketball Alabama's played? 
Oh, I, I, I think by a pretty significant margin that, that this is Alabama's best basketball of the year, to be clear. But I think a lot of that is, well, not only you're in your first year with Nate Oates and you're becoming more comfortable playing at this really, really high tempo and at with mm-hmm. this new system, but a lot of this is injury-based. I mean, they, they started off the year with pretty unfortunate luck. They lost two guys, James Rojas and Jawan Gary, to season-ending knee injuries before the season even started. And then Javon Quinterly's transfer waiver from Villanova to Alabama wasn't approved. So he has to sit out the year. And then you had nagging injuries to guys like Herb Jones and Alex Reese and a few others on the team. And Beetle Bolden, the West Virginia transfer a nice big 12 connection there Mm -hmm. this was a squad that was so beat up that it had some of those significant contributors I just mentioned Herb Jones Beetle Bolton etc those guys weren't practicing at points in the non-conference schedule they were just trying to get their bodies good enough to play in Mm -hmm. the game and not practice in between games so when you look at the non-conference schedule you're going to see an opening night loss to Penn you're going to see a road game loss to Rhode Island, a neutral site loss to Iowa State. The neutral site loss to North Carolina looks really bad now, but you got to remember Cole Anthony was on the floor at that time. So North Carolina hadn't completely devolved at that point. They also took a road loss to Penn State. But once they got past that Christmas break and got themselves healthy a little bit, they got a win over Belmont before they went into Christmas break. And then got a win over Richmond at home before going into conference play where you you mentioned they're playing their best basketball right now. This is what they've done in conference play. They took Florida to double overtime on the road, lost that game. They beat Mississippi State by 21 points. They were very competitive in a loss at Rupp Arena. They beat then undefeated Auburn by 19 points. And then they just beat Missouri by 13. That's what they've done since conference play started. So this is absolutely Alabama's best basketball of the year. Some of that is injury-related, but some of that is quality, too. Yeah. And I want to take a moment to point out just how much I enjoy that you say uh, neutral the loss to North Carolina looks bad. It's just great to see Roy struggling over there. Uh. <laughs> I'll keep my mouth shut. <laughs> but um, well, let's start, though, with you know, you you mentioned it. Alabama is a team that likes to get out and run. If you want to look at, obviously, Kansas State, not as much. If you look at, if you want, if you like numbers, Alabama is number three in adjusted tempo in the Ken Palm rankings. Kansas State is two forty eight, which is actually pretty good for the Bruce Weber era. It is. But, <laughs> but you know, how is that clash of styles going to manifest? You think this weekend? I think Alabama is better than most at enforcing their style of play because they do it on the offensive end. When you see teams that like to play a fast game, a lot of times you'll see them operate that by forcing a press, right, by going to full court press and forcing an opposing offense to speed up a little bit and kind of getting some quicker possessions that way. Alabama mostly does it by making their own offensive possessions really, really quick. You're going to see them – the second they get a defensive rebound, that ball is being pushed up the floor. It's a very – fast operating offense and they, they get into their action really really quick I, I think in a in a perfect world Nate Oates would prefer to get almost all of his shots up with probably 12 seconds on the shot clock or earlier um, mm-hmm. that, that's just how he operates and, and a lot of that is also driven by 
some of the analytics stuff that's kind of taking over the NBA right now, where if you look at the shot charts, you see a bunch of stuff at the rim and a bunch of stuff behind a three-point line and very little in between. And Nate Oates kind of wants Alabama right. to behave the same way best they can. Um, Houston Rockets philosophy. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's pretty similar, honestly. If you go back to the, the game against Kentucky, which – they lost, what was the final score, 76-67. to 67. A phrase that Nate Oates used coming out of that was non-rim twos. That was something that stood out to him was that they took too many two-pointers that weren't at the rim. So that, that phrase, non-rim twos, and, and taking too many of them is kind of indicative of his offensive philosophy in terms of shot selection. But to get back to the, the pace aspect of things, it just it runs at a breakneck pace. And they're going to play a lot of man. They're not going to sit in zone and let you kind of pass around a little bit. They're going to play man, and they might not press you full court in playing that man, but they're going to be relatively aggressive in, in the half court. So their offensive possessions are going to go pretty quickly, and there are going to be times where their defense gets a little bit aggressive to try to make your possessions last a little shorter. And certainly watching the Mizzou game, saw that quick pace. They they were not afraid to launch it. Um, you know, we, we made a big deal out of Kansas State shooting 37 threes against Oklahoma in a regulation game for the first time in school history. While Alabama shot 39 against Mizzou on Saturday. To me, a lot of that was maybe because Mizzou didn't seem to pressure the ball very much. And, and Eric, you know, we know We've talked about this before. Kansas State tends to slow the tempo down by playing that high-pressure defense and not giving up open looks. So, you know, do you think that can be effective against a team like Alabama that just wants to launch whenever it gets an opening and, and push the ball up the floor? You know, it's going to be a really interesting uh, immovable object and whatever, whatever that saying goes. I can't remember <laughs> it off the top of my head. But, uh, you know, top of the horse. There you go. I think that's uh, that's a really good point. There's always been a lot of criticism about K-State playing slow and that sort of thing, and really a lot of that overall low-tempo game is, is caused by K-State's defense. At the West Virginia game, we saw, what, three or four different uh, shot clock violations, and that's that's usual for, for a K-State defense to force three, four, five shot clock violations throughout the course of a game. So that's really the end that they slow it down on. The, you know, the one thing that I'm a little bit concerned about is they just uh, they just came off of a game, uh, the upset of Auburn, and Auburn does much of the same thing, adjusted, te- uh, adjusted defensive efficiency. Auburn's actually ranked above K-State as far as how much they slow down the game on the on their defensive end of the floor. So uh, the fact that Alabama was out, able to, to outscore them by 19, it'll be interesting to see uh, to see just how effective we can be at slowing the game down. But on top of that, you know, if you're slowing the game down, but they're still making buckets, you know, it's really not helping you very much. Yeah. And one thing that was interesting about that Auburn game is it's not like Alabama did that by shooting lights out from three. They were 6-21 that game. And I think that proves that they've got a lot of athletes that, Brett, like you said, you know, if you're not getting threes, you go to the rim. And I assume they must have been doing that a lot in that game. Yeah, Kyra Lewis Jr. is is really, really big in that regard. He's the point guard. He's a very ball-dominant guy. He's going to be on the floor probably 35 minutes. Right. Yeah, no, they, they said he – uh, he averages 37 minutes a game, which I think is tops in the SEC. There you go. I mean, he's he, he has to be on the ball for Alabama because he's so good in the dribble drive game. You mentioned it, the Auburn game. They went six for 21 from three-point range. That's 
But Kyra still got 25 points, only taking two threes and making one of them because he was just slicing the defense to get to the rim. There's a pretty thick crossover highlighted in there where he, he literally puts an Auburn dude on his hip, puts the Auburn guy on the floor to drive right past him. That was that was uh, entertaining, to say the least. But, uh, <laughs> yes, they do have that dribble drive athleticism thread. And, and Kyra Lewis Jr. is definitely the biggest in, in that regard. Herbert Jones will put the ball on the floor and try to penetrate a little bit. But I think Kyra Lewis Jr. is is a lot better at that than – Herbert Jones is, and they have the the classic drive and dish game. They can create some corner threes with some of that penetration. Uh, and, and someone who's really benefited a lot from that is Alex Reese. He's someone who I, I don't want to say he was a, a frustrating player, but he was someone who hasn't lived up to his potential up until right now. He's having a heck of a season thus far. He is shooting thirty six and a half percent from three point range. He's averaging where does point total go? Yeah, he's averaging. Uh, 9.6 points a game, also contributing almost five rebounds a game because he takes a, a pretty good bit of threes for someone at, at his position. Only John Petty Jr. has taken more threes than Alex Reese this year. So when you can get kind of a big body, some space on the perimeter, especially a bigger body that can shoot, some space on the perimeter reaches 6'9", 245. When you can give him that kind of space because you've got a dribble drive threat like Kyra Lewis, you're going to have some opportunities to – shoot pretty well and Alex Reese among others has been a beneficiary of that so when if the offense does have another game like it's had a few times in in conference play where the the three ball isn't falling the way they draw it up to they do have that dribble drive threat they can turn to Mm -hmm. and you mentioned John Pay Jr. I mean he was the guy that kind of killed Mizzou yesterday right and Mm -hmm. uh he shoots 48 or at least they showed a graphic yesterday during the game. So coming into yesterday, shooting 48% from three and at a pretty it's high volume. 47 and a half now, yeah. Yeah, at a, at a pretty high volume. So is he kind of one of those guys, well, that, that's the main threat. But since you have to guard him so tight, he can get to the hoop if he needs to? Yeah, yeah, for sure. By the way, I, I misspoke. Alex Reese has made threes at a better clip than anyone other than, than John Petty. I said took, made. Okay. Petty's made 58. Reese has made 31. There are other guys that have taken more threes than Reese, but made is what I meant to say. Now, to go back to Petty, yeah, he's shooting 47.5% from three-point range, and he leads the team both in threes made and threes taken. He's 58 for 122 on the year. And, yes, he does have some of that dribble-drive game in him that is created by him hitting threes the way he did against Mizzou. Wasn't he four for ten from three against Missouri? Yeah, Yeah, four for ten. Yeah, he was pretty good. Four for 10 and six for 12 from the field overall. So do the math there. He, it, it's a pretty it's a pretty three-point heavy role for Petty, but when you're shooting 47% from three, that's totally justifiable. And, and something he'll do on occasion, sometimes it's him, sometimes it's, it's Kyra Lewis Jr., they'll rebound the ball relatively well. And when you've got a roster like this, it was very much hurt in the front court by injury, going back to those two preseason injuries I mentioned earlier, you need your guards to rebound. Otherwise, they would get absolutely pummeled on the glass. And sometimes uh, Kyra Lewis Jr. will step up and do that, but Petty got five rebounds – no, six rebounds against Missouri in in that last game, five defensive and one offensive. So when you can get a a 20-point scorer who's hitting four of ten three-pointers to also give you six rebounds, two assists, and a block, that you're you're going to take that from your two guard every night if you can get it. 
Yeah, and the other thing we should mention about John Petty is he's not just some small guy chucking up threes. He's six foot five, so yeah, got some good height to get that shot off. You know, Eric, who, who do you think? K State's got some guards that you know not necessarily the tallest guys, but seem to be able to guard taller guys. You know, um, think that you can shut shut down a guy like that. I think Cartier Jodic's got the, the the best is probably the guy that's gonna that, that's gonna pull that scouting assignment. You know. Jada's not quite that tall. Jada's 6'3", but Jada's very long. He, he can definitely guard someone 6'4", 6'5", 6'6". I think that uh, the other possibility is going to be Xavier Sneed. Uh, of course, Xavier and, uh, and, and Pettis are very similar builds as, uh, as far as height and length and, and that sort of thing. So those are probably going to be the two uh, that I would be looking at to guard him. If neither one of those guys are on the floor for whatever reason, you might actually see Dejuan Gordon guard him. Dejuan Gordon, Gordon is another guy that... Uh, you know he's in that 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 six two six three range, I believe, but super long arms uh, and, and can guard someone uh, you know beyond his height. So those yeah. would be the people I'd take a look at. And that that might be even innocent where you might miss Mike McGurl a little bit if he's still out. I'm not sure what his status is. He's kind of day to day, I guess, with the concussion, but he's kind of a guy that can guard bigger guys as well sometimes. Yeah. And I think one of the things that Mike McGurl is, uh, Mike McGurl kind of plays some West Virginia defense, if you will. Um, <laughs> you know, he's one of those guys that he is a little bit bigger guard, both size and height compared to someone else normally playing that two guard position, uh, or I guess our other options at that two guard position, but he does it very physically. And so it's going to be a case of, uh, we've seen McGurl uh, be able to guard a little bit better this year than he has in the past, which is saying something because he has guarded pretty well in the past. But McGurl also is, uh, he, he, he tends to struggle playing defense if, if he can't go really body up somebody and, and make the game physical. Yeah. And I kind of wonder, you know, Kansas State, uh, we saw them struggle a little bit. Stopping the big guys there, Colbert and Sheboy of West Virginia. Um, I feel like Azubuke is going to be a big problem. I don't know that Alabama has any you know, big post player like that. I mean, Jimmy Davis off the bench looked like kind of a load, but you know, you wonder if maybe this is a game where Kansas State might be able to get away with going small more than some other games. I mean, what do you think, Brett? Does Alabama have the size or the strength inside to make you pay for going small? No, I, I think you're probably correct in that estimation. So if you were to just do the very basic thing and sort. Alabama's roster by height, right? Uh, 6'9", Alex Reese mentioned him earlier. He's more of a a three-point threat. He will go inside and and do some of those things there, but there's also a a calling for him to be on the perimeter and do some things out there. So there's one of your 6'9 guys right there. Uh, Another one is a freshman, Raymond Hawkins, who doesn't play a ton. Then the other are Jalen Smith and JV and Davis, who – you, you, you mentioned Javian is, is a unit, as one would say. And, and you could probably say the same for, for Galen, too. Those are the two true inside presences. But this is, this is far from a team with two 6'11", 265 dudes out there that just wants to bang in the post all day. So, yeah, you, you probably could get away with a, a smaller lineup against Alabama. Now, it's not – it's not like they're putting a, a 6'5 dude at center by any stretch of the imagination with JV and Davis and Galen Smith coming off in different roles. Both Mississippi natives, by the way, JV and Davis and okay. Galen Smith. That's uh, kind of weird, but true. Yeah. <laughs> and you mentioned John Petty. John Petty is 6'5", and Herb Jones is 6'7". So there's, there is height where if you go too small, they can, they can make you pay for it. But a, a smaller lineup is not – 
a bad thing against Alabama. You just have to do it in moderation and the right kind of small. Uh-huh. Yeah, positional, you know, positional flexibility, I guess, would be the pro- the right term for it. And and I would sit there and say from from the K State perspective that you're talking about a team that we'd be playing that isn't really encouraging us to go small um, because we're not they don't necessarily have a player that's going to punish us on the inside so we have to do something different to offset that or change the game up to make that big guy irrelevant on one one end of the floor or not so I think it uh, I actually think it sets up pretty well in that particular case to be a game where where Martinez Murphy or Antonio Gordon or even Levi Stockward can be more can still be effective yeah yeah okay and then I guess one thing you know we always have to ask uh, I know you said Bama doesn't play much zone they like to play the man-to-man but kansas state has the the shooters and the, the style they play has uh in convinced teams to go zone even if they don't play it much so any chance we see that from bama i guess it's i guess it's possible but <laughs> it, it'd be kind of out of the format out of the yeah. out of the team profile for sure it'd be atypical for them to do that because again that doesn't really that doesn't really fit with their ethos and their style now I mean when you have people like JV and Davis and Galen Smith who can play kind of the bottom portion of that kind of a defense you you could do it like the roster is capable of it it's just not really how they go about things and obviously we hope uh, Kansas State will not try to play that zone that we saw a little bit uh, considering Alabama shoots, is it like 38, 39% from three? Yeah, it seems seems like zone isn't the thing to do. <laughs> yeah, no. And and the the last couple of games that we've played, uh, the, yeah. the zone has – the first time we busted it out two games ago, it was a – it was a little questionable, um, <laughs> i.e. we didn't look like we knew what we were doing. Now, against West Virginia, we played that zone a little bit, especially when uh, we started getting getting into foul trouble with the bigs. And yeah. I'll tell you what, it was relatively effective. They were playing a little bit more swarming defense, but a little bit more disciplined. So they weren't. So West Virginia wasn't able to just swing the ball from uh, over to the third side and find a wide open three point shooter. So I'm encouraged with the progress that we've made there. But you know, when Alabama's sitting there, 46 percent of their shots are three pointers, and they're <laughs> making them at almost 40 percent clip. Playing zone really isn't a very smart idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't think so. All right, we're gonna take a quick commercial break. Hear from our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And we're back. So, you know, Brent, we've been talking a lot about the offense, which, you know, obviously, because Bama's averaging like over 80 points a game, right? So, but 
let's let's switch over to defense a little bit. The numbers are, are not great. So, you know, maybe just what do they struggle with defensively? That's a good question. Well, I mean, I think the injuries played into things early on. But overall, if you were to try to attack this Alabama team, it would probably have to be off the bounce. Uh, I wouldn't do that against Herbert Jones because he's probably as good an on-ball defender that the SEC has. Him and uh, I, I can't remember which one at Kentucky. Is it Maxie? Is it Tyrese Maxie that's the, the excellent Not defender? Sure. It, it, anyway, one of them uh, up there. Uh, it's shocking. Kentucky has good basketball players. Who could have yeah. <laughs> possibly seen that coming? Uh, but Herbert Jones is, is an excellent on-ball defender. I, I probably – I wouldn't advise making a living going at him on the bounce, but when you – look at players, you look at other guys on, on this team, you might be able to dribble past them, and then you go back to the height uh, at, at the rim. This team doesn't have a seven-foot rim protector this year. Their front court depth has been punished by some of the preseason injuries that I mentioned earlier. So that's probably the way that I would do it because your best wing defenders are kind of longer guys. Herb Jones is six seven. Kyra Lewis Jr. is crazy quick. It's hard to get around him on the bounce but that's probably the way to do it i think yeah and certainly that's what we saw missouri do and shout out to mizzou for hitting 31 of 31 free throws although it's i guess they kind of disproved the theory that if you just make your free throws you'll be in good shape right yep Yep. (laughs) but i can promise you kansas state will not make 31 of 31 free throws but (laughs) it would be nice to see them attack the basket a little bit man i'd be that's a great point i'd be happy to see us shoot 31 free throws to be honest with you yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. it would be nice but no so 31 that's a lot of free throws was that an anomaly is bama prone to fouling typically or i mean i don't know that anyone is prone to allow 31 free throws in a game yeah, every yeah. game uh, yeah. but but they foul trouble does tend to find this team I, I don't have the numbers in front of me to know if it finds them more often than most other teams in college basketball but it, it does seem to find them somewhat regularly so uh, I might stop a little bit shy of going with the straight-on foul-prone profile, but mm-hmm. it, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, a, a national study of some kind suggested that they were they were pretty <laughs> close to it. They they do find themselves in precarious foul situations at times. Yeah. Well, since we're talking about attacking the basket, Eric, let's go back to a uh, favorite topic of ours, Cartier Jada, and, you know, the benefits and the, the – well, the pros and cons of Cartier Jada – when he tries to be aggressive, you know, and we saw 25 points, but also seven turnovers, you know, how can he, you know, without toning it down too much and, you know, still being his aggressive self, but limit the turnovers a little bit. Stop making stupid passes. It's really that simple. Um, you know, most of his turnovers aren't like dribbling the ball off of his knee or getting stripped on those on being aggressive, going to the basket on in isolation or one on one situations. They're, you know, trying to sling a pass one handed or, uh, you know, we saw late in the game where he just, you know, floated a pass up and over uh, and over over the defense because he I don't know if he just wasn't confident or what the deal was against West Virginia's press but instead of trying to instead of trying to break the pressure you know one-on-one he threw a pass over you know floated it up over three people and the third one unfortunately was Xavier Sneed and it went out of bounds you know it's that kind of stuff stop trying to make the home run pass 
it's okay if you want to try to make the home run layup or that sort of thing. Uh, I'm never going to fault fault Cartier for doing that because we've seen him be able to do that in some ridiculous circumstances. But seriously, just value the ball. If you don't get a shot up, that's not that that's not helping us, especially as slow as we play and as offensively challenged as we play uh, as we are. So that kind of brings up what has been seemed like a growing debate among Kansas State fans, and it's do you want Cartier Jada or do you want David Sloan a point guard? And to me, that boils down to do you think that you know it's worth it to sacrifice Cartier's offense and then the, the point, the scoring he can provide for maybe the more controlled and the better passing you get from David Sloan? And my opinion, I think this team, like you said, is so offensively challenged that you know you got to have Cartier things he can do, like maybe in a perfect world, we could have David Sloan play a more traditional point guard role, but. At this point, I, I think Cartier's still the guy if you have to pick one. I don't know. Yeah, what I agree with that entirely because at the end of the day, um, we're talking about a team that's that's averaging, what, 65 and a half points a game or something like that. Go with your points. Um, go with the guy that's putting points on the board. Um, and Cartier Jada, for the most part this season, has shown that he's he's relatively consistent. 25 is a bit of an anomaly, but you also can show up and, and not expect six out of him. So that, so I, I, I think you go with putting your points on the board. I think that's what, that's what Bruce Weber's doing. Um, one of the unfortunate things is, as we start talking about the freshmen coming on, um, excellent segue into the next couple comments, but you know, we start to talk about, well, who should be on the floor, even at crunch time, who should be on the floor. And you can sit there and say, okay, well, if our best chance offensively is David Sloan at the one, Cartier at the two, and let's have Martavius Murphy at the five, then we've got this combination of Antonio Gordon, DeJuan Gordon, Xavier Sneed, and Levi Stockard. I'll throw another name in there, trying to vie for those last two spots. And at the end of the day, that's not an ideal situation necessarily either. So no, going back to your original question, uh, as much more of a... Uh, a traditional, you know, pass first point guard as David David Sloan is. I think you got to go with the points and put Cartier in at the at the one, so you can have the opportunity for both Dejuan because uh, he's shown his ability to be able to score the ball as well, uh, and Xavier playing the two and three at more of their natural spots. Yeah, and so Brett, maybe to bring you back in here, um, Alabama, kind of a similar situation. They've got some freshmen who are not necessarily star players, but certainly valuable contributors and, you know, Javon Davis and Saul Shackelford, I think played a little bit, hit some shots, even that Forbes kid got in against Mizzou. So, you know, are they, how has that been figuring out where those guys fit in and what kind of strides are they making? No, I I think you labeled it right when they're kind of supporting players or, or role players. I think that was, that was the right way to label it with those guys, JV and Davis and, and Jalen Forbes and Jaden Shackelford being the, the main three. And, and the rest of them are, are injured or not allowed to play by the NCAA and Javon Quinterly's case. I know he's a sophomore, but uh, Jawan Gary was out for the, for the year thanks to a preseason injury. So there's, there's that. But to your point that you just made about kind of prioritizing scoring and getting some scores on the floor, it goes back to, Alabama's pace from earlier this isn't a team that you can kind of gum up the works and win a game you're not you're not going to beat Alabama 65 to 61 challenge that's accepted pro- yeah that, well, <laughs> well maybe you will I don't know but I, I don't think that's the thing that's going to happen because I mean this team did it for the first time in school history they scored 90 points in five consecutive games that happened earlier 
this year. And I think a couple of those were conference games, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the game that completed that streak was the win over Mississippi State. Then they lost to Kentucky, and they've been flirting with 90 in the two previous games, scoring 83 on Auburn and 88 on Missouri. But they've they've got that bit of history in their profile, and they're a very high-scoring bunch. So uh, apparently Kansas State's going to try, and if, if they really <laughs> do try, I'm, I'm very interested to see the results because you haven't really seen – and Alabama, this particular Alabama team, at least in its current iteration, where it's as healthy as it's been all season long and is playing solid basketball, you haven't seen this team really have its tempo impacted in a negative way for a long period of time. You haven't seen this Alabama team get uncomfortable by how slow the game is progressing. So if, if Kansas State does it, that'll be a very interesting situation <laughs> to put this team in and something I frankly I wouldn't mind seeing just to see how they how they react, but I also have difficulty believing that it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Well, and it's you know looking at the the Ken Palm numbers should point out, you know, even when you take Temple out of the equation, Alabama's offense just a lot more efficient than Kansas State which is not surprising because most teams are more efficient than Kansas State. But um, it's also interesting. Honestly, Eric, maybe you know more about what this means than I do, but as far as the luck rating, Alabama is 331st and Kansas State is 345th. So just throwing that out there. It it means we are slightly less lucky than Alabama. (laughs) 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 So I don't know. There you go. (laughs) <laughs> bigger picture it sounds like we've both been hosed this entire season by the bounce of the ball in, in a lot <laughs> yeah. of cases so yeah yeah well if you if you watched alabama's football season you're not surprised by that <laughs> yeah i guess so well let's talk about you know so one thing eric i don't to me anyway k-state has struggled a little bit to bring its normal intensity to these Big 12 SEC games. And I think Bruce has been one of the coaches to say that it would be better if these games were played in December, and I agree. But, you know, I think maybe in a season where they're not necessarily – well, they're not vying for a Big 12 title, that'll be any different? Um, Honestly, no. At the end of the day, you know, these the, these kids are not geared up to play Alabama. No offense, but uh, they're even even with you know even having one conference win at this point and uh, and still having a losing record, they're geared up and and they're focused on playing the other Big Twelve teams. So, frankly, I agree with Bruce. I think playing this game in the middle of, in the middle of conference season is stupid. They should play all these games before they start the conference slate. You know, the, I don't necessarily buy any argument that playing this game you know gives the kids a break or gives the team a break or anything like that because there's a there's a certain rhythm and cadence that you get from playing the uh, against your conference foes that this just kind of muddies it up i think yeah and that's especially true if i can if i can interject on that point very quickly the whole concept of these games giving teams a break is absolutely hilarious because this game (laughs) comes in between games against vanderbilt and lsu for alabama (laughs) So, like, how is that supposed to be a break when Vandy and LSU are the games that bookend it? Right. Yeah. 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 And I I was going to say that's especially true, Brett. I don't know if you're familiar with this concept, but in the Big 12, they play a round robin. So every team plays each other home and away. Oh, really? I have no idea. (laughs) So so you could say they crown one true champion? Yeah. Yeah. You could say that. Yeah. I've heard that somewhere before. 
see, that, that's interesting. So surely that one true champion would fare well in a bigger playoff <laughs> environment, right? Theoretically. Or am I am I misconstruing that somehow? <laughs> well, in theory, you know, a practical practicality huh. doesn't always work. I don't cover football. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. But I feel like we should give um actually give Alabama some props, you know, that that we think of them as a football school, but they brought in one of the hotter names on the coaching market. And Nate Oates, you know, he'd done pretty well at Buffalo for a couple of years. So I mean it's gotta be tough to create excitement for Bamba basketball, but how much did that hiring, you know, generate energy in the fan base? A lot. Just, it, I think the brand of basketball plays a pretty big role in this, right? Because they had Avery mm-hmm. Johnson in between Nate Oates and Anthony Grant. And Anthony Grant basketball, I, I, I think I, it's hard to make Anthony Grant jokes now because his Dayton team is really, really good. But the Alabama version of Anthony Grant, I think his ideal Alabama basketball game would have ended with a final score of 9-7. to seven. In, in either in either outcome, if he won or lost, I'm not sure it really mattered. He just wanted the game to be nine to seven. That's how Anthony Grant's Alabama teams rolled. And once you kind of move on from that, you're trying to get something a little more entertaining. And as you mentioned, this is very much a football school, so you gotta do some different things at, at Alabama to really draw people in while you're building your way up to winning big time. And Avery Johnson definitely played a a significant role in that. But then Nate Oates comes in and it's up and down the floor. They're shooting a lot of threes. It's really exciting. And they're about to make a pretty big renovation to, to Coleman Coliseum in the next few years. So I'm sure that, that feeds into things as, as well. But to go back to the Nate Oates thing, a, a lot of credit goes to Greg Burns, the athletic director, who is an incredible athletic director. His, his track record is very good going back to his days at Mississippi State and Arizona before coming to to Alabama. So you, he has a very strong track record of hires. So when Alabama got Greg Byrne away from Arizona, I anticipated that whenever they had to hire a coach, that there was a pretty good chance of it being successful. And the, the Nate Oates hire suggests that his, his hiring practices remain strong, or at least the early returns are, are suggesting that, that Nate Oates could work long-term here, here at Alabama. So I, I think a lot of credit goes to, to Greg Byrne there, and that not only on the hire of Nate Oates, but also generating the fundraising and everyone else at Alabama that does this to give them credit. They're like next, I forget the exact phrase of what they're calling this wave of facility renovations, where they're updating Coleman Coliseum, they're updating Bryant-Denny Stadium, they're doing something at the softball complex, which is a, a big deal here. Softball goes to the Women's College World Series most of the time. Softball's a, what is softball, a big Eric? deal here. You know? <laughs> I've never heard of it before. <laughs> Strange, but there's a lot of money going into that, like hundreds of millions of dollars. So the athletic department deserves a lot of credit for their hiring process to get qualified, well-thought-of coaches like Nate Oates to Tuscaloosa and and jobs that are historically more difficult than other jobs on campus, not to name names, but also (laughs) in kind of giving these programs the support they need to actually take it to the next level on this this renovation of Coleman Coliseum. You could definitely find some locals that would say this renovation is probably at least 15 years too late, if not a little bit more than that. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Brett, you should know that Kansas State is one of three Big 12 teams without a softball program. So. Oh, really? Who are the other? Yeah. <laughs> let's see. Hang on. Let's see. So TCU is missing. I'm assuming I'm Nebraska because it's ridiculously cold up there. <laughs> well, Nebraska is not in the Big 12 anymore. But. Oh, man. <laughs> no, seriously, uh, who is it? This interests me. TCU does not have one. And West Virginia does not have one, which makes sense. They're further north. That's, so. that's weird. Their baseball team hosted a regional last year. Huh, yeah, well, but but Kansas State does have a rowing team, so you know. Yeah. Hey, so does Alabama. <laughs> and 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 soccer and yeah, and and we had equestrian before we had soccer. That's right. That's we, right. we we could have had softball, and we picked horse riding. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, I understand that we're an ag school, but at the end of the day, we could have had softball, a sport yeah. that almost every female on the in the United States of America ends up playing at some point in their life. And we picked horse riding. Yeah. Well, I assume that that was just kind of a, a nod to another former Big 12 conference member, Texas A&M, and their world-renowned <laughs> equestrian program. I'm assuming y'all were just jiving with the Aggies. I'm that sure. That's, that's exactly why we did it. Let's see if I can work in a few more former Big 12 members. Here. <laughs> we did mention Missouri earlier. Yeah, I'm, we did. We did. On that one. We did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I covered them all. The other side of Kansas. You're missing the school on the other side of Kansas. Oh, well, we'll, we'll get to them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, See you, stupid. <laughs> yeah, that's where it lives, though, in Colorado. So, uh, Well, I, I think that's about all I've got. I do feel like it is Sunday as we're recording this, so I think I'm obligated to mention the Kansas City Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl for the Chiefs. first time in my life. For yeah. the first time in a lot of people's lives. Yeah, <laughs> that's very true. Um, and so, Brett, you know, obviously, us Chiefs fans now believe that Pat Mahomes is invincible and cannot be beaten. But what is your unbiased opinion on the Chiefs versus 49ers Super Bowl? Um, I'm going to ride with Mahomes, man. I really am. I don't. I'm not just doing like the yeah. the Homer <laughs> Kansas podcast thing. That like seriously, uh, I think. I think we live in a football environment where defense first football only gets you so far. And it Mm -hmm. seems like the 49ers are playing a lot of that, whereas the Chiefs are letting that Vunderkind behind center uh, (laughs) just roll things up and down the field. And I'm I'm always going to be in favor of that. So I think I'm, I'm riding for the Chiefs, if nothing else, just to make sure everyone remembers all of the people who got drafted after <laughs> all of those people remember them remember them all especially when they're playing in the super bowl yeah <laughs> he's just so damn fun to watch i mean it's like watching the harlem globetrotters on a football field i mean he yes. just he's he's making just throws that you shouldn't make and he's and he's putting them right on the money and he, oh my god and then that 27 yard touchdown run he had today was just ridiculous i mean he broke two or three tackles and outran some big guys i mean that was just yeah you're not supposed to do that do as that. a pro quarterback yeah <laughs> i mean that's what we were saying all along with you know rg3 can't play football anymore because he tried to do that crap and and cam newton busted himself up because he tried to do that crap and you know maybe lamar jackson but i i haven't seen him do it for any sustained period of time now at the pro level it's like you're not supposed to do that and he did it anyways yeah 
pretty amazing. And then you think we'll see Tua doing that in the NFL, Brett? We're running a bunch? All right, well, I mean, just, you know, being a dominant quarterback, I guess. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> you know, I wasn't expecting a Tua question. I got to put my brain back in. <laughs> In football mode here. Um, no, I, I do. I do think so. I'm sure a lot of people are are freaking out about the hip thing, which is understandable to a a certain degree. Also, don't make the Bo Jackson comparison. Those are those are very different situations. Don't don't do that, people. Don't do that. Very very different. But I know people are going to freak out about the hip thing, and, and with somewhat legitimate reason. But the, you saw at the college level, he was just so preposterously accurate and consistent with his throws and yes he had the benefit of really really good wide receivers around him I get it I probably would have put up 15 to 20 touchdowns in this (laughs) offense this year if I had Ruggs and Judy and Waddle and Smith around me I probably could have done that just go chuck it they'll go run under it exactly exactly just throw it as far as I possibly can and let one of them go go get it it's probably going to work out more times than not but you have to go next level with him. Like, go try to find a slant which was not perfectly where it needed to be from Alabama season this year. Go try to find that. And his deep ball accuracy is very, very good too. He's very mobile and elusive in a pocket. In the pocket, he's got all the things that an NFL franchise wants. And I would, I would suggest the fans of whichever franchise drafts Tua Tungavaloa to be pretty pretty happy with their decision and I don't I don't really factor the whole injury thing into this because all of that is fluky and, and unpredictable like no one put the injury prone tag on Andrew Luck coming out of Stanford and now he's out of the league before he's 30 because the NFL beat him up and, and there are probably countless examples of guys who got injured a lot in college who did not get injured a lot in the pros and they play 15 year career so the whole injury thing is kind of fluky just get you a really really good quarterback and and Tua definitely falls in that category well and as a k-state fan you brought up something there that i again have no idea what you're talking about because i've never seen a slant pass in my life (laughs) that's a good point certainly not an accurate one All right. Well, I do Brett, love the offense, though. I think it's more entertaining than the one that was at the end of the Snyder era, maybe the last like two, three years. Yeah. I, I, I kind of like it. I'm not going to lie. Well, it was a hell of a lot less predictable. I mean, they, it got it to was. the point towards the end of Snyder 2.0 that, I mean, if, if you were a K-State fan that watched most of the games, you knew exactly what we were running. And if, if a dude sitting on a sofa knows what, what we're running, what do you think the defense is doing? Right. Yep. So is it, can, I, can I start dunking on people for hating on the climate higher, or do I have to wait a little bit longer for that? Go for it. Yeah. No, I, is, is it time to do that? Have y'all done think, that yet? I think, yeah, we definitely started doing that. Yeah, for okay, sure. Cool, I think, I think cool. there have even been some people who have been, you know, and, and credit to these people have gone, come forth and, eat, and eaten crow, some K-State fans. So. I would like people to start dunking on the uh, start dunking on the haters of the Bruce Weber hire. I mean, two <laughs> two Big Twelve championships and an Elite Eight in seven years—that's yeah. not bad. But he's not as likable, so yeah, he's yeah. squeaky. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, Brett, always fun to have you on. People can follow you, Brett underscore Hudson, and then TideSports.com, I guess, is where they can find most of your stuff. That's it. So, all right. Thanks a lot.
Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, yeah. I know.